It was a quiet February for Nebraska as National Signing Day came and went without entry. The Huskers did their work during the early signing period in December, and now we get to examine each of those new Huskers tonight. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus from HuskerOnline.com join me tonight to look at those signees, many of which are already on campus. It's all coming up next on NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. Hi, everyone, and welcome to NET's Figure It Wrap-Up. I'm Michael Severe. We have no presents to open this Christmas on signing day, but we open them back in December when you're supposed to open presents. Joining me tonight, recruiting experts Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus from HuskerOnline.com. Welcome, Sean. Welcome, Nate. I guess it's got to be weird after 16 or 17 years of covering this for you, again, to not have anything really to do on the actual signing day. Yeah, and, and I think we tried to make the Avante Dickerson announcement like the only thing going on, but most of us had an idea, a good idea, that he was going to go to Oregon. Right. So, uh, th yeah, there, there was nothing to it. And I think if you're a football coach, you don't want a lot of drama in February because usually the, you're, you're scrambling. If you're trying to fill a lot of spots right now in February, mm -hmm. that's usually because you're a new coaching staff coming in, like Scott Frost was in 2018. Um, but, yeah, most of these kids, I mean, probably 90% or more sign in December and there's usually a reason why somebody's available late in February. And then, Nate, you have the bonus of kind of a January, late December from the transfer portal. It's almost like a new season of recruiting. <laughs> yeah, it really is. You know, instead of coaches going out on the road in the month of January, um, you know, they were not able to do that. But the transfer portal now is a big part of recruiting. And I think we're going to continue to see Nebraska for years to come kind of uh, try to snag a couple guys out of there each year. So in terms of... Um, that that idea, you still will have after spring now another additional recruiting period, right? Right. As far as a portal. kind of for portals, yeah, yeah, you know, and and two things to factor in: you'll have junior college football that's going to take place in the spring. FCS football um, will take place in the spring. You'll have some forms of high school football that will take place in the spring, right? Uh, but then the transfer portal. So everybody that goes through spring ball, um, there's going to be a fresh wave of prospects that enter the portal. And as Scott Frost said today, it's 1,600 names. Wow. And that might include some walk-ons in there, but it's a lot of names, uh, no matter how you spin it. And I, I think in everybody in the recruiting business, we've talked about how January now has become kind of like this new season that we all have to get behind and embrace because the, the amount of interest and page views and traffic we had over portal week or two was crazy. I mean, there, were, there was as much interest in that as you would normally see during the recruiting season. We'll get more into the comings and goings in a second. But first, we want to know what you think this 2021's Nebraska football recruiting class. Send us an email with your comments or questions or reach out via Facebook and Twitter. We'll check on those as well and monitor them all tonight. Here's this week's all-new sideline survey. How concerned are you with the transfers of Wando Robinson and Luke McCaffrey? Very, a little, not concerned, or would you like us to ask you next year when you know exactly what it means for them to be gone? Head to our website right now and cast your vote. All right, I'm going to start with losses or gains first from the portal. Which one, which one do you want to go with first? You're really I, the, the, news, the news is about the losses, right? Uh, Wando Robinson and Luke McCaffrey being the big two. What was that like for you guys on the message board first and the reaction of people when they found out about Wandell and then found out about Luke? Well, what I found interesting on both is a lot of fans and insiders on our board knew more about this right. than Nebraska's coaches probably knew. Mm -hmm. And I, I think with Luke McCaffrey, they were led to believe internally that that he was sticking around right. and he was going to stay. And, and even it got to the point where he told Scott Frost that he planned to opt out but still come back after because he was going to opt out for COVID reasons. Then the first day of classes started, he solidified his scholarship money and things for the semester. Then he opted out. Then he then he went in the portal right after that. So I think that that was interesting. Same how, thing his brother did. At Michigan. Same thing his brother did. His brother waited till classes started the Tuesday after Martin Luther King Day. Then on Wednesday went in the portal. So he secured his scholarship and stipend check mm -hmm. for an additional semester to graduate at Michigan. So that was an interesting move. Um, that, you know, what they did to take away that scholarship. Um, but, yeah, Wandell, I, I think with that situation, um, there had been a lot of people pulling at Wandell Robinson, and I think right. that played a big factor. Nate, who, who do we blame with this? Because um, people are always looking for blame when it comes to a Luke McCaffrey or, or a Wandell Robinson, who, I mean, obviously was the face of the program over the last couple of years. Well, I don't know who you can necessarily blame. I think part of it's just the nature of college football right now. You're going to see more and more transfers. It's become a lot easier to transfer. 
Uh, and this year in particular, you know, there's a lot less um, harm that can come from it. You know, you, you didn't lose a year of eligibility this past year, and I think everybody is going to get uh, kind of a free pass. You know, with 1,600 names in the portal, the NCAA is not going to be able to take a case-by-case -case look at each and every person uh, to say, okay, this player gets a waiver, this one does not get a waiver. So, um, you know, I, I don't. it's hard to place blame on one person in particular, but, um, you know, I think it was just kind of the perfect combination where you, you're going to have some guys that, that entered the portal and left the program. Honestly, the thing that we have that's adjusted now is we don't know or could say a guy is a junior or a sophomore. No, for sure. Now we got to say how many years he's on campus because we don't really know, right, in terms of what year they are now because of the bonus year they got. Nebraska did pick up some guys from the portal as well. Out of the two big ones, Sean, who's most important? Is it the running back, Marquis Stepp, or is it bringing a wide receiver who obviously proved himself at the FCS level in Samari Torre? Uh, Samari Torre, to me, um, he, he could have gotten drafted this year if he went out. I mean, it's the, he told me that they told him he's a day three pick, mm. and if he had another good year, he could probably increase his stock. And um, he knew that Montana, there was a chance that they may not even play spring football up there. So he got out of there mm. uh, because he wanted to play one more season. I know the early reports are already very impressive on Samore um, and what he's shown. And he, he's a veteran. I mean, he's been around. He's mature. And I, I think he could be big in developing some of the younger receivers on this roster, uh, Xavier Betts, um, Alante Brown, and just having another guy like him. You know, he broke Randy Moss's playoff FCS record. Right. Who on Nebraska's roster, can you <laughs> say right now, could break a Randy Moss record? Not very no. many people. No, not at all. No, no, no doubt about that. Uh, let me ask you about this, Nate, because – the best this offense probably looked since Scott Frost was here was when Devine Zigbo got it going at the end of that 2018 year. You look at Marquis Stepp, maybe even Gabe Irvin who's coming in. Do you see that back who maybe can do the same thing they did in 2018? Yeah, I think you can certainly draw some similarities there. Um, just in terms of size, um, you know, obviously Marquis Stepp is going to have some experience under his belt, whereas Gabe Irvin is coming straight from high school. Uh, and I think that when you look at that room and how it's comprised, you, you, you lost all of your experience. You've got a lot of talent there. Uh, it, it may be some depth, but it's all unknown right now. At least with Marquis Stepp, you know that he's produced at the Power 5 level. Sean, we'll break down each player as we go along, but what did they miss? What did they not get that they needed to get in this class? Well, I feel like we've had this conversation a few times on this set, Michael. But Outside linebacker pass rusher? Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the, that, that unicorn, that, that, that position everyone's looking for, yeah. is somebody that can get to a quarterback as the fourth man in a four-man rush without a blitz. Right. And they haven't had that since Randy Gregory. I mean, you could Cleo Davis put up sack numbers, but I never looked at him as like a true edge pass rusher. Mm -hmm. And they just have not been able to find that, so they need to hopefully develop what they have into that, and that's a huge question. They return a lot on this defense, um, but I think if you could say, we got this guy that can get us eight sacks, you'd feel a lot better. Yeah. What about secondary, because that's the other one. I know, Nate, we've talked about that a couple times. What about getting someone in the secondary that has a little more experience for some of the guys who obviously lost to Caprio Boodle back there? Yeah, you know, that's something to, to keep an eye on going forward to see, you know, if there's somebody in the junior college market or even in the transfer portal that can come in and bring some experience. You've gotten a dab Joseph that they added late to last year's class that, um, you know, he had a little bit of an injury, didn't play a ton this past season, but maybe he can step up and give them uh, some experience and give them uh, somebody to replace uh, DiCaprio Boodle that, you know, somebody that uh, brought a lot of production to the table at that position. Yeah, I, I said I think that was a little bit of a half-intentional and, and half-result of, of the COVID that we have more regional guys. If there's a kid, in, in the, particularly in the state and in the area, that we think can help us, um, we want them here. Um, we've done a lot of things with Zooms and virtual visits and everything that I think we probably need to continue to use when appropriate. Um, but uh, the great part about that is, is I think the talent pool in the Midwest and in Nebraska uh, looks really strong the next couple of years, and uh, we're excited to get our share of those guys. Uh, just the unique thing with 22 recruits right now is uh, we got a ton of kids that are anxious to come see Lincoln and trying to figure out when that's going to happen. Um, there's talk that it'll be April 1st. There's talk it might get pushed to June 1st. Um, we do the best when, when kids have a chance to come see Lincoln and see the people of Lincoln and meet the fans and maybe even be at a home game. So um, we'll be in a better position the minute we can have unofficial and official visits and 
uh, doing the best we can in the meantime. Sean, so there are four big in-state guys in 2022, and they've gotten all kinds of big-time offers. Way too early question for this, but if you were going to guess, how many of the four you think Nebraska gets? I mean, we've talked about this a few times, and I think right now, I mean, if you get one of the mm -hmm. four, it'd be good. Two would be outstanding, but right. I, I think by taking three tight ends this past year, it makes it difficult with Micah Riley and Caden Helms right. that are both hybrid or tight end type guys. Uh, Devin Jackson at Burke really does not want to play inside linebacker in a 3-4. He wants to be an outside linebacker. And I, I think if Nebraska is recruiting him as an inside linebacker, he won't consider Nebraska. Mm -hmm. So Deshaun Woods, who's the number one guy right now in rivals out of Omaha Central, is probably the most likely of that big four. Now, Ernest Hausman at Columbus, yeah. he is quickly putting his name in that group. And I think Jake Applegate at Lincoln Southeast is going to get there. He's impressive, too. And there's a few more that are going to emerge. It's a really good year again, though, in the state. Yeah. One of the really good debates, Nate, last year was of those top guys uh, in, from Nebraska, who was really the number one? In your opinion, after watching the whole high school season, who do you think's number one from that 2021 class from Nebraska? Well, I'm going to stick with who we've got ranked number one, and we've kind of had ranked number one as Teddy Prohaska. I mean, you could certainly make a case that uh, Vontae Dickerson, Keegan Johnson, and some of those guys, um, you know, were the number one guy. But, you know, when you look at somebody that is – uh, that has all the measurables, all the potential to, to play at the next level and to be a dominant player in college. I think it's Teddy Prohaska, 6'9", up to th over 300 pounds now. Uh, and just his progression throughout high school has been extremely impressive. And, uh, you know, I'm really interested to see him continue to grow once he gets uh, to Lincoln. Well, he's already on campus, but once he kind of starts his career here. Same for you, Sean, because we were at – several Bellevue West games together. And there was no more unstoppable force in, in high school football this year than Keegan Johnson. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, Keegan Johnson, it's almost a 1A, 1B. You think about, you know, at the beginning of the year, I'm like, this is a loss, but, you know, it's not going to hurt Nebraska. When I watch Keegan this year, I'm like, wow, this guy is going to yeah. cause Nebraska a lot of problems. And he's going to be that guy when Iowa takes the field for four games against the Huskers. Um, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder. He's going to be fired up for that game. And, you know, he had, to me, the best season of any player in Nebraska Class A football, um, you could argue, is Keegan Johnson. One last question before we take a break, but Avante Dickerson, how big of a loss is that not getting him at the last minute and him going out the The order? perception is the loss. I mean, you could go and listen to us, like some national radio shows on ESPNU radio. They were ripping Nebraska for, you know, not getting Avante Dickerson, how this is tragic. Um, but – they tried, and they, they came tried. close. They I mean, tried, and they Jenner never really – barely made an impact, didn't he? He's kind of one of the reasons why he decommitted from Minnesota. They really got back involved. And I, I just think Avante didn't grow up following Nebraska football. They're not a family that watched a lot of college football. So mm. he didn't have, like, a strong affection towards, like, a particular coach or a program. Like, it, it was a lot of work, and he was always going to do something different. I mean, the way he committed to Minnesota was different. Um, the way he didn't sign on signing day was different. So nothing was w normal with how Avante handled the process. Um, so, no, I I'm not surprised that he didn't end up at Nebraska. And, sure, it's, I think perceptually it's a, a hit. Um, but I think maybe he'll be a better fit in the Pac-12, and that's probably what sold him. No doubt about that. Coming up next, we'll break down the new recruiting class position by position, starting with the offense. As we go to break, enjoy some of the images from the 2020 season, courtesy of Hale Varsity. Stay with us. We're right back. Welcome back to NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. I'm Michael Severe, Sean Callahan, and Nate Klaus. We'll start on the offensive side of the ball for the signings, and I'll start with you, Nate. I asked you this yesterday. How far away do you see Heinrich Harburg from being able to contribute at Nebraska? He's obviously a little raw. He's a bit of a project, but he certainly has some skill. Yeah, he's got a lot of skill, and he's got great size, 6'5", um, you know, 190 pounds. He's got a lot of a lot of tools that you just can't teach, and so um, you know, I think that will help his progression, help him get on the field sooner. But ideally, I, I think you know it would be a couple years. Uh, he's making the transition from Nebraska Class C1 football to uh, to Power Five, Big Ten. You know, that's that's going to be a bit of a of a transition, I think. You know, just the speed of the game in general. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, he, he's got all the tools. He, 
He's a, a dual threat guy uh, with tremendous speed, and he's got a live arm. And yeah. He can throw the ball a, a long way. And so, you know, everyone who's clamoring for, for Nebraska to be able to push the, the ball down the field, uh, you know, Har Harburg is somebody who, who's going to not have a problem doing that at all. When did, how did he pop up on the radar for Nebraska? Well, for, you know, his name got out there. Like, I first heard about him, or we did, Mike Vedrill, Noah's dad, mm -hmm. they do a lot of that quarterback training. And when Harburg was a sophomore, I was making my tour around Nebraska at that time. And he goes, this kid at Kearney Catholic, Sean, I've been around enough, he's got something. Mm. And so I'm like, well, I called up Coach Harvey. I'm stopping, I'll be in Kearney this day, let's see him. And he was just a young kid. Right. I mean, skinny, gangly, awkward. Um, but you could tell he had the toolbox and he's worked really hard. I mean, to be a class C1 kid and go power five as a quarterback, yeah. I mean, hasn't been done since Scott Frost. Yeah, and he's, and he's a very talented kid. And he looks a lot like Justin Herbert looked when he was a young kid coming out of high school. Uh, Gabe Irvin, we'll start with you with the running backs. Uh, a lot of young running backs and you throw in Marquis Step. Where does Gabe Irvin fit in, you think, as a freshman? Well, he's a competitor. He's very confident. I mean, I've talked to some people that have been around him on campus already, and they're like, yeah, he's got the right level of confidence. I think they went out bowling as a team, and he was teamed up with some older guys. And, I mean, he was already like – they liked him already. The older guys in the team are really impressed with him. So he's going to get a clean look. I mean, right. I, I, I don't know who you would even give the first carry to if it's just Ramir Johnson. Or, or who the guy that would Michael would even get, uh, Ronald Tompkins, yeah. Marvin Scott. I mean, Marquis nobody, Step. Uh, no, Marquis Step. Yeah, I mean, nobody today would be the lead horse, but yeah, Step would be the guy with the most Division One experience. Does Gabe remind you a little bit of watching Divine Zigbo come out of Texas, Nate? Yeah, he does. I, I think there's there is certainly you know uh, a lot to draw comparisons there with. He can catch the football out of the backfield, which is something that Divine did an awful lot. Um, and he's a north and south runner. He's somebody who can run between the tackles very well. Uh, he does not do a lot of dancing, and you know he can he can make somebody miss or he can run somebody over in the hole. And, and I think that's something I really like about him. Um, he's got some pull away speed too. So uh, I think just with his size uh, coming out of high school, there there is. A lot of comparisons there with uh, Divine Zigbo. I also like he played in some uh, eye back situations with a fullback in front of him, so he knows how to handle a lead blocker. Let's start with the wide receivers now, and I know your favorite, I think out of the three, Nate, was Kamonte Grimes. Size actually, I mean, the kid's coming in looking like a college player already. Yeah, he really is. And, um, you know, I like all these wide receivers, and, and, uh, but Kamonte Grimes is somebody I'm really intrigued with. 6'3", 200 pounds. Uh, he's got tremendous hands. He's a two-way player at his high school there in Naples, Florida. Um, and, and just somebody who makes plays. And, and to go along with that size, he's got really good speed, too. And, uh, you know, there's, I think there's a lot to like about him. You know, Nebraska has obviously placed an emphasis on adding, you know, some bigger wide receivers into this program. And uh, to get a guy like Camonte out of, out of Florida, um, which I know makes some people cringe. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they, they, you know, they kept it pretty honest with him. And they were they're very blunt about what it's going to be like when it gets to Nebraska and if he's up for that challenge. And, and he's somebody who not only was up for it, but really embraced that. Good competition in Naples? That's what I wonder about. You know, it's straight across the peninsula from Miami, two hours away, but it's a lot. It's a long ways away from yeah. Miami as far as what they see. But, yeah, it's not Miami competition, um, but it, it's still really good. I mean, I, I think all of South Florida um, is high-level competition. But like Nate said, the size of all these receivers tonight, Michael, 6'3", mm -hmm. 6'4", six, six, that emphasis was clear what they're trying to do to that room. Based on the tape, Sean Hardy looks at the fastest of the three guys. What do you think about him? Yeah, once again, um, another guy, 6'3", 190, a Georgia kid. Uh, Nebraska's had a lot of success in the state of Georgia. I, I, yeah, you're right, Michael. I mean, I, I think the speed's there. Um, you, you know what kind of kid you're getting. I mean, Nebraska's had really good success in Georgia mm -hmm. with the players they bring in. Um, honestly, like if, if you could pick the three-star out of Georgia or Florida, a lot of times the Georgia kid tends to be the better fit at Nebraska. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, the thing about him, Nate, is that every time he caught a touchdown, he flipped the ball to the official. I love that about him. You can Wait. tell that the kid is already pretty mature, I think. He's very mature, and he's a coach's kid. He's oh, been yeah. around the game for an awful long time, and so I think those are some of the intangibles that Nebraska looks for in players, and, and they're, you know, they're getting a lot of those intangibles with Sean Hardy. And, and you know, he plays good football in, in Georgia, too. So, um, you know, we talk about the, the football in Texas and Florida and in Georgia. You know, they're in Camden Academy. They, they played some of the top teams in the state. 
Nate, Latrell Neville is, I think, in the end, will be the best of the three, in my opinion, watching his tape. What do you think about the kid out of Texas? Well, he's extremely skilled, first of all, and I know that he's an extremely hard worker, too. Um, you know, and to go along with that size, he knows how to use his body. He can go up and get a football. Uh, he's got no problem blocking on the edge, which I know is, is something that Nebraska fans are probably excited to hear about. Uh, but, you know, again, he played a high level of football, and um, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be someone that's going to take the top off of the, the right. defense, but you know, he's going to be a big target and he's going he's to get a lot of yards uh, you know, as a wide receiver for the Huskers. What intrigued me about him is uh, they run a lot of that inside screen stuff. Very patient, breaks a lot of tackles, runs a lot of jet motions, like you could fall right into what they did a little bit with Xavier Betts last year. Yeah, and I, I think he's probably a little bit further ahead mentally in his understanding of the game. and. He's not here. He's not here now. I, I, at one time, we thought he was going to maybe be um, an early enrollee, but mm. he'll be here later. Um, and you know, you, you wonder if some of these guys can find themselves on the field. In the end, 2021 will be known as the tight end recruiting class. Let's start with James Carney first. Uh, watching him from junior year to senior year, what, what did he start eating, Nate? Because he looks like a different kid. He's a totally different kid, and I don't know if there's another player in the state or maybe even in the region that improved more than James Carney did from his junior to senior year, um, you know, and really took his stock to a whole nother level as far as, you know, the, being a prospect and, and being a recruit. Um, you know, he was committed to Miami of Ohio early on, but it didn't take long for, for teams to really recognize that, hey, he, this kid is a power five player. And what, when it really clicked for me is when, you know, you watched James Carney go up against Thomas Fedoni at the, the Warren Academy Showcase over the summer. Mm -hmm. And the measurables were very similar. The, the testing numbers were very similar. And they made very similar plays on the football. And so uh, that's when I was completely sold that this is somebody Nebraska needed to go after. And maybe took a little longer than what, uh, what some people would have liked as far as that offer. But, um, you know, the other thing I really respect is as soon as that happened, uh, he, he didn't mess around. He, he jumped on that offer. Good edge blocker, too. That's the thing that stood out to me is he's a willing blocker. Yeah, and he's got good feet, uh, good speed. I mean, he's got the total package. Mm -hmm. And when you're going to take a third tight end, you got to make sure it's worthwhile because we talked about those Omaha kids, Mike O'Reilly and you know, Helms. Helms at Bellevue West. Well, by taking that third tight end in 21, you make it a lot harder now with those guys. So right. they had a lot of thinking to do there. I think once Iowa and Kansas State, particularly Iowa, though, offered – that was what, what drew the ball over the goal line that, like, look, we just got to figure out a way to make it work um, and, and get him in the program because he's a guy that wants to be at Nebraska and you know, he, he belongs here. And we got to figure out how to make it happen. There, there are a number of great players that have come out of the Metro in the last 20 years. Where does Thomas Fedoni fit in terms of recognition nationally as a guy from the Metro area? As far as the rivals ranking era goes, mm -hmm. I mean, Baker Steinkuhler was in Lincoln. It was a five-star. Uh -huh. Trevor Robinson um, was the number one guard in the nation that went to Notre Dame. Right. Um, but there haven't been. Niles Paul was top 100, top 50-ish guy. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say he's right up there as one of the best. I mean, he's the number one tight end in the country on Rivals.com. Um, he did it all for his team this past year. And, he literally had every offer in the country. I mean, I don't know if Alabama ended up offering him or not, but he had about every other offer other than Alabama and maybe Ohio State. Yeah. You're doing his measurables, Nate. The one that you need to add in there is confidence. He doesn't lack confidence at all. No, he doesn't lack confidence. And you know, that's one thing I really like about him, along with his competitiveness, you know, outside of how tall he is, how fast he is, and how, how good of, you know, of a pass catcher he is. He, he's very confident, and he is the ultimate competitor. I don't know if I've talked to too many prospects that like to compete as much as Thomas Fedoni does. And, uh, you know, and I think that's one thing that's really going to help set him apart is, you know, what he brings to the table just outside of the football field. I think he's going to be a, a big, big leader for this team for years to come. He's such a, a mismatch, too, uh, in the red zone or on third down. So, A.J. Rollins, if I would have asked you a couple years ago, Nate, about him, would you have thought basketball player or football player? Basketball, no doubt, uh, a couple years ago. Uh, but he has really improved his game, and, and you could see it year by year. And, and I think you could see the most progression this year as a senior. You know, he was, he was somebody that didn't necessarily love contact, I think, as a sophomore. And, uh, but he really grew into that and was a, a willing and, and more than capable blocker uh, for Creighton Prep this year as a senior. And, and uh, you know, he's really doing the little things. That I think there's something that really stood out to me, you know, watching him as a senior on film. 
Um, you know, and someone who plays both ways and is just an overall tremendous athlete. Any chance you think that he ends up being an outside linebacker, stand-up guy in 3-4? You know, I think it's possible um, that he could develop into that. I saw some flashes. I watched him play at least two games this yeah, year. Yeah, I saw too, yeah. And when he was doing the third down pass rushing, mm -hmm. getting up in the air, uh, disrupting plays, you could see it. You're like, okay, like this I guess might. Miller West, he had a couple plays. This might be there for him where he could be an outside linebacker, but I think he's going to have to develop red shirt you know, fully commit to a weight room. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's a lot there. And I, I think when Nebraska offered him going into his junior year, that kind of turned the light bulb on um, that they came in with an offer when a lot of people told him, like, you know what, you need to work a lot harder to get noticed. And they saw something going into his junior season what led them to offering him right away. Let's go to the place where Nebraska really was built over the great years, and it's the offensive line and the pipeline. And I think this is a pretty good class, not huge, but Henry Litovsky, let's start off with him, Nate, and your thoughts on a guy who most likely will be a guard, but who you, you literally can't move him out of the middle. No, you, you can't move him. He's a massive human being. You know, we talk about how big Teddy is, uh, and even Branson for that, uh, that matter. But Henry Latovsky at 6'6", 310 pounds, that might be a little on the light side. Uh, but he is massive, and he is strong as an ox. I, I don't know if there's been too many offensive linemen that have come into the program as freshmen that, you know, I think as far as being physically developed, are, are not far off from being able to, to hold his own at the Big Ten level, and which is really impressive coming from a smaller school in Iowa. But um, we, we talk about how much James Carney progressed physically. Uh, you know, Henry Lutovsky really did the same thing. When you go back and you watch his film from sophomore, junior to senior year, uh, he became a dominant lineman. No way he's 310. There's no way in the world. I'll bet anybody he's not 325. 325? 325 easily. You know, we, and that's not eaten the day before. We do these questionnaires called Getting to Know on Husker Online, and we asked him one question. Did weather play a factor at all on your decision? He goes, yeah, it did. Um, I didn't want to go somewhere where it was hot because I, 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 <laughs> I don't do well in the heat. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. That's a big cat. Uh, Teddy Proska, we talked a lot about him. You guys had him number one there in Rivals, um, top player in Nebraska. Uh, I've watched him a bunch of times, and he certainly has come along. What do you think his ceiling is? I mean, he could be an NFL guy. I mean, there's no question, like, if he keeps developing. What's interesting, though, is how he's had to grow his body. Nate and I saw him at the pipeline camp yes. after his freshman year. Mm -hmm. And I remember I reached out to a few people, Ty Delcorn South, and I said, am I seeing this kid right? Because I see a guy that could be pretty big time. And they're like, yes. Like, he's got everything uh, you'd, you'd want. He's got the right attitude, the right toughness. He's a competitor. He doesn't back down. He fights. He competes and he wants to win. So that's what drives him to me over some other guys that are big. A lot of big guys aren't mean. He's mean and he's got an edge to him and I think that's gonna take him pretty far once he's in a structured program like Nebraska. Yeah, what impressed me was in, in the playoff game on the defensive side of the ball, he got a sack to end the semifinal game and I thought that's as mean as I've seen him and aggressive. What do you think about him, Nate, and his upside? Well, yeah, his upside is pretty much unlimited. When you combine, you know, how he's progressed uh, along with the, the body that he's got to work with. You know, you don't see, you just don't see too many guys that big that are as athletic as he is. And, you know, what's really impressive to me when you watch him, you know, you, you see an, uh, an offensive tackle who's pulling uh, that's 6'9", 300 pounds, and, and he's running, and he's getting out there and getting blocks and, and uh, looking for more work down the football field. So, uh, you know, he's somebody that I think, you know, his potential is pretty much unlimited. Yeah, toughest for him is going to be speed rushers and be able to get low and get leverage. It's kind of hard for him. But a guy that doesn't have a lot of tape is Branson Yeager. Um, not a whole lot of stuff out there. What do you know about him? Yeah, out of Utah, um, was one of the early commits in this class. Um, but you're right. I mean, he's here early, though. So all three of these linemen are here early. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to play as freshmen. But I just think that's going to help that development curve, mm -hmm. get their bodies in a good place going into next fall. Um, and, you know, that's what I question maybe is the competition he saw. Uh, I believe it was a smaller class in Utah. So, yeah. you know, how will he adjust when he's here? Um, but he's, he's been a great fit in this class. Like there's a group of eight or ten of these kids that literally talk daily, and he's a part of that group. And mm. I, I'm excited to see kind of what they can do with him. The last guy out of Utah, Nate, was it the, the transfer out of Snow College? Who's the last person out of Utah? Yeah, well, Vahu, Vaha Vanuku oh, okay. was the, yeah. was the 
um, the grad transfer. But <laughs> you know, going back to that, you know, it's there was an outside linebacker. I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. Outside linebacker. Jared Afalava. Yeah. Oh, Afalava. Right. I thought he was yep. Arizona. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. What, um, who was the the offensive lineman? Uh, Ryan James? Bingham. No, out of Snow College. He's the one ended up getting punched by Namakin Sue. Uh, Victory Haynes. Victory Haynes. Victory Haynes. That's, yeah. that's what I was stuck in my head. So overall, let's talk offensive, kind of wrapping it up. Um, if you add in Step and you add in Torre as guys who obviously are contributing, where do you kind of rank this offense in this hall they brought in in 2021? Well, I mean, those are, in my opinion, if they had rankings, they'd be four-star additions to the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were like Juco-type additions or whatever, uh, I mean, you've added essentially, in my opinion – either the number one or number two receiver in the portal mm-hmm. and probably one of the top two or three running backs on the, in the portal. And, you know, a lot of people wanted Tory and a lot of people wanted steps. So I do think it pushes this class up pretty high. I, I don't see any just huge glaring holes. Um, you know, they clearly weren't looking for a Wandell Robinson type receiver this year. Mm-hmm. They, they feel like they have enough of those guys. They wanted beef, they wanted size, and they wanted a bigger running back. And I think they got all those things. You know what adds to this thing, Nate, a little bit is Will Nixon not playing last year, you can almost slide him into this class, and he is the guy that's kind of Wandell Robinson. I think if you add him in, it even makes the class even better. Yeah, you really do. You could, you could count him as that slot receiver in this recruiting class since he went down with that, that knee injury. And, you know, none of us have really seen much of him, but uh, he put up great numbers down in Texas. He's another coach's kid. And, uh, you know, prior to that injury, we we're hearing a lot of good things about him. So, you know, he's somebody who is going to be, you know, you could very well consider you know, a newcomer to this, this class. We'll take a short break. When we come back, the most important side of the ball, at least for the fans of the Black Shirts, defensive side of the ball up next. But as we go to break, we take a look at the season that was with video courtesy pictures from Hale Varsity. We're back soon. Don't forget to head over to our website and vote on this week's sideline survey. How concerned are you with the transfers of Wando Robinson and Luke McCaffrey? As of right now, about 32% of people say very, 21% a little. At 37, which is leading it, not concerned at all. And then 10% say, hey, you know what? Just ask me next year. We'll know more about it then. Welcome back to NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. I'm Michael Severe, along with Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus from HuskerOnline.com. Let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. And I think these two defensive linemen aren't getting mentioned enough, I don't think. Let's start with Rukan Buckley and your thoughts on him. Yeah, when you get a class, Michael, of a bunch of higher three-star types, you know, they don't draw the fanfare of all the four-stars. But mm-hmm. as we talked about, it's a top-20 class. Uh, Raquan Buckley, Nebraska, wins a head-to-head bot battle um, against Michigan State. And, you know, a lot of people thought he was going to go to Michigan State. Yep. But he took a trip to Lincoln uh, before COVID, I believe. Um, and really, really, that was the deciding factor. So credit Nebraska. They win a battle here in the Big Ten. Uh, he's here early, too. So they'll get Buckley for the spring. You'll get a good chance to kind of see what he'll bring to the table. Nate, we always hear that you got to win the mom, or whoever the influencer is. Not only did he win over the mom, she's going to move here, right, while he's here? Yeah, his mother is is going to move here. At least that's what she told us, uh, or what he told us. Yeah. That his mom was moving here, and um, you know, I know his sister was also very involved in the recruiting process, and she loves Nebraska. And uh, you know, this is a, a guy that played defensive line and offensive line for his high school. A lot of teams recruited him as an offensive lineman, but Nebraska liked him as a DN the whole way, and that was just another small piece of the puzzle that really helped the Huskers out. Stay right there, Nate. We'll do Jalen Weaver next, who and we were talking about what it takes to be a five technique in this 3-4, and I think he's the perfect size of what they had back at Oregon. Talk about Jalen Weaver for us. Yeah, 6'8", 320 pounds, tremendous length and size, um, and he's a great athlete too. Uh, you know, he's, he's a former basketball player and somebody that's really kind of grown into that, that big body of his. And so, um, you know, they didn't have a fall football season this year, and that may have actually played to Nebraska's advantage because uh, he, he developed a great relationship with Tony Tuioti and, um, you know, had wanted to visit Nebraska. Obviously, he was unable to do that, but in the end, it was that relationship with Tuioti that, that really helped him, uh, you know, pull the trigger and commit to the Huskers. You know, if you talk to um, a guy like Tom Osborne, he'll tell you, I want to watch a kid play basketball. Jalen Weaver's a pretty good athletic basketball player. Plus, at one point, he was almost like a tight end kind of as well. At Nate said it, but he's a good athlete. You hear 6'8", 320, you think lumberer, but that's not what he's like. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of coaches that would rather almost watch you play a basketball game or wrestle mm-hmm. another sport 
to truly measure your athletic ability. And you're right, Michael, when you see a guy 6'8", 320, that can move like that, then you know you have something. And mm -hmm. sometimes you can't always see that on highlights. You know, highlights are only the best. Um, and you, you want to be able to see more opportunities to see a guy like that move. So you're right, a basketball game or something like that can yeah. be a, a separator for guys. Let's talk linebackers. You're going to hear this phrase, I think, with all these linebackers. They're all run and hit guys. They love to run and hit. And right in the top of that, in my opinion, is Winden Huahuli uh, from Hawaii. Uh, and how did they find him? Is it, is it really a Tony Tuioti guy? How did, how did he get a hold of him out of Hawaii? Well, he's the number one ranked player in the state of Hawaii, first of all. So um, wasn't like he was an under-the-radar guy by any means. Um, but, yeah, then, then you factor in Tony Tuioti and – He's so well respected on the islands. And, you know, you heard Scott Frost oh, yeah. talk about that today. I mean, when he gets to Hawaii, people line up to pay homage to, to Tony because he's so well respected and connected there. And um, there's no question, without Tony Tuioti, they do not get winded. Yeah. It's funny, you listen to that story that Scott Frost told today, Nate. They had a great time. I mean, they <laughs> ate great food. He jumped off a cliff into the ocean. Uh, they had a blast. It doesn't, it doesn't really get any better than that when you're talking uh, recruiting visits. I know, I know he talked a lot about going to pheasant hunting with, with uh, Nash Hutmacher last year, but uh, you know, that's at the total other end of the spectrum than recruiting Winden. No doubt about that. Let's go with Makai Gabor um, and a little bit more. That's another guy who... I, I watched some tape of him. I'd love to see a little bit more. What do you think about him, another one of those linebackers who can run and hit? Yeah, he, he's definitely somebody that is a run and hit guy. Um, you know, and somebody who plays inside and outside for his team. Uh, he actually won New Jersey uh, Player of the Year this, this past season. So uh, he's a first team All-State, you know, uh, you know, player for, mm -hmm. for out there in New Jersey. And I think, you know, anytime that you're talking about someone who's a player of the year out there, an all-state competitor, um, you, you got yourself a pretty good player. But uh, he had a great relationship with uh, Mike Dawson uh, and, uh, you know, Eric Chenander. And I think that really kind of helped seal the deal and get him to commit to Nebraska. Longtime Husker fans remember the impact that Frank Solich had recruiting New Jersey. Kind of seems like they're, they're laying that path again. Yeah, with Mike Dawson, I mean, he's kind of a Tony Tuioti in New Jersey. Right. His connection's out there. Uh, it will not be easy, though, with Greg Schiano back. I right. mean, when you have arguably the best coach in Rutgers history back at Rutgers, he'll keep a lot of those kids home. Um, but I think if you can get one or two, just like one out of Hawaii, I mean, that, that's what you're shooting for. You're not trying to get five kids out of New Jersey, but if you can find a guy that fits like this and – you know, Makai was a commit for a long time. I mean, they, they locked him up. And really, a lot of these kids, Michael, were longtime commits. I mean, that, that's what stood out. There was so little drama with this class. And the drama that happened, we all called it a mile away. Patrick Payton. Right. We're like, this guy, okay. Probably not going to stick. You know, it's, then once all the Miami kids left, he ended up switching his commitment. But, yeah, so I, I like how this class, through all the COVID stuff that we dealt with, stayed together. And there really wasn't any drama. We make a list, all of us usually do, of the top guys we like. Randolph Kapai was right near the top of mine. I had him right up there with Thomas Fedoni, 1-1-A. I think he could be a, a great outside linebacker at some point in his career. Nate, what do you think about Randolph Kapai? Yeah, he's another guy. I think you could make a case for him being able to play inside or outside. He's got tremendous length, and, and he can run. Uh, I think that's the thing that is really impressive, especially when you're able to watch him in person. Uh, we got up there and, and we're able to, to catch one of the first games of the season, and he's down there getting after the quarterback. He's out there covering uh, running backs and tight ends out in space and even running down on, on kickoff coverage, making plays. And so I think this is somebody that plays with a high motor. Uh, he's a smart individual, and he just loves the game of football, and, and that kind of comes through when you're watching play too. Another example of what Scott Frost said, they were kind of lucky in this year where you had COVID and you couldn't make trips of a guy who's within your radius. Right, and they, they got on Randolph very early and offered him, didn't hesitate, and got the relationship built. But you study the history of Nebraska and South Dakota, mm -hmm. they have not lost a guy, to my knowledge, that they've offered. Like, they didn't offer Chad Greenway. Iowa did back in the day. The last guy they lost was Riley Reef to Iowa. Oh, that was a big one. And that was... That was all-American they lost but Bill Callahan had him committed and then this coaching change happened right. but you study that history Nebraska and South Dakota they have always gotten the guys they want 
And there are a couple other kids coming up there in the future years that are on our radar. So hopefully that continues for Nebraska that they get that one, sometimes two kids per year that South Dakota produces. How rare is a guy like Seth Malcolm over the last 20 years for Nebraska? <laughs> well, the last eight-man recruits for Nebraska were Andrew Shanley. Okay. And then before that, um, Steve Crewald, the fullback. Okay. So there have not been very many. Eight, St. Edwards, right? Um, or for Shanley? Shanley, yep. Yeah. And then Crewald was from North Loof, Scotia, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, North, uh, so it's not been the norm, but you look at this town where he's from, Tabor, Iowa. Um, you know, it, it's really a, a suburb of Omaha Council Bluffs. I mean, it's. People that work at off at Air Force Base live in Tabor and drive into the base. It's on the southern part, so you can get into Bellevue. So his, his father's an Omaha firefighter. So it's, it's not like this is like a rural eight-man kid out in the middle of, you know, three, four hours away from everybody. He's right in the heart of the action. So I think he's been tested athletically throughout his life. Um, and he's, he's a Nebraska kid, really. I mean, he grew up a Husker fan. Um, you know, his family are Husker fans. So this is one that, you felt pretty good about Nebraska's chances from the get-go, uh, unless Iowa came in. And the Hawkeyes never offered him, but he had Iowa State, Minnesota, and Kansas State as well. I mean, I think special teams-wise, watching Seth Malcolm could come right in and play. Yeah, I think so. You know, I, I think and you can probably make a case for all the, the linebackers to be able to come in and, and make an impact on special teams right away. But especially Seth Malcolm, he's got great size um, and speed and, and uh, somebody who's been so productive at the high school level. Um, it, you know, there's no questioning his overall commitment, and, and uh, I think he's definitely somebody that would love to make an early impact on special teams. Talking defensive backs, I think if you said, let's build a defensive back, he's going to look like this to be perfect for a safety. Kobe Bretz could be the guy. Nate, I know you saw him in person a number of times. What do you think about Kobe's potential? Yeah, yeah I think his potential is unlimited. You know, he's somebody who has not played a, a ton of football, uh, but the football he has played here, especially over the last two seasons at Westside, was at a very, very high level. And another you know, player that's done it all. He's been a receiver. He's watching him here as a kickoff returner. And then, you know, this past year as a safety, he was, he was unbelievable. Uh, made plays all over the field. He's somebody who loves to come down and hit. He's somebody that in, in coverage can make a play on the football in the air. Um, I mean, he's just, uh, he's just a playmaker. And I know watching him as a junior, uh, every game that, that I went to, I, I came away just wondering, wanting to know more and more about Kobe Bretz. And uh, to hear that he's a state champion diver, you yeah. know, that's, that's not something that you typically hear, but uh, it speaks to his uh, athleticism and, and overall body control too. No, Shawnee, maybe he doesn't get mentioned as much because of Avante Dickerson, maybe overshadowed him a little bit. But could you see him also being a guy who grows into a linebacker? Because he's got the frame. Maybe a JoJo Dolman yes. type guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he could fit that hybrid role. And you mentioned Avante Dickerson. This, those two guys back there together, I don't know if I've seen a better secondary in Nebraska high school football. And as far as, they, I mean, they did, they did not allow big plays. Right. Because when you have two guys back there like that, nothing's getting by those two. And if it is, they're going to run it down pretty quick. So that was a special group back there. It played a huge part. And I think if his academics were in line a little bit earlier, he would have had as much fanfare and early offers as Avante Dickerson. Mm -hmm. A lot of teams wanted to see kind of his next semester grades. Then that's when all the offers locally came in with Nebraska and Kansas State and some others. Um, but there's no doubt, like, he's got NFL ability, and, and you see that in him. And, you know, you talk about the diving highlights. I'm sure if he ever makes it to the NFL – They'll find those diving. Yeah. Uh, any, any team might get a call to find those uh, archive uh, state diving uh, highlights. Yeah, Kobe and Avante uh, Dickerson is the reason why they won that state title. They both made huge plays in the semifinal to make them get to the final. Uh, let's talk about uh, Marcus Buford, who I had just outside of my Super 6. I think he's got a ton of potential. Where do you see him, Nate, playing, at least starting off at Nebraska? I think starting off, he's a corner for Nebraska. And I think, um, you know, you, you want to throw him out there and see how he, he can handle being on, a, on an island. And uh, I think he's athletic enough. He's got the size uh, to, to be able to, to stick there, too. It, you know, he's somebody who has played a high level of football coming out of Texas, decided to go the prep school route. And, and uh, you know, he was the number one prep school player, depending on who you looked at, but uh, in, in the nation. And it didn't necessarily get to play a ton of football this past year because of the pandemic. But um, I think Nebraska zeroed in on him early and uh, they were able to, to get him, you know, in the class fairly early on because of that. We saw Alante Brown go the prep school route. It allowed him to get on the field early. 
Could Buford be a guy you think of feel early? He's got a chance. Um, you know, the fact that he's here now early, you know, Eric Chenander, we talked last week about just the class, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do this spring. I mean, they have an open corner spot right yeah. now. And, you know, Quentin Newsom's there, and you've got some other veterans like Braxton Clark returning. Like injury. Um, but Buford could have a get a look. I mean, they're excited because he's not a freshman. He's an older guy, and this is the second straight year they've signed the number one prep school player in the country on Rivals.com. Mm -hmm. And then you have Malik Williams, a guy who did make my Super 6, a guy who I believe could be a really good corner in the Big Ten. Give me your take on him out of, out of Buford High School, not named after Buford, who they brought in. Yeah, six foot, 190, um, another corner that kind of meets the size and, and what Travis Fisher is looking for on the back end there in the defense. And let's be honest, Michael, this is a very big recruiting class for Travis Fisher. Like, he's got to get some production from these guys, especially when you lose right. your entire year before and DeAndre Francois and Delancey and Henry Gray. They're, they're kind of behind the eight ball, so they they need this group to really produce, and they need these guys uh, to, to kind of make up for the loss of those Florida kids they lost a year ago. You know, Nate, we talk about competition sometimes. No doubt that Malik Williams went against some of the best players in the country. Yeah, he really did there at Buford High School. They play high level of football there in Georgia, and he's a winner too. I mean, they've won back-to-back -back state titles um, there this past season. He's teammates with Gabe Irvin, and, and Buford is a powerhouse program. He understands what it takes to prepare. Uh, he understands what it takes to win and, and how to take coaching, too, because that staff there down there in Buford, they don't mess around. And, and you're either going to be taking coaching or you're going to be sitting on the bench. And, and I think that uh, Malik is somebody who's going to be able to come in and, and make a quick transition to the college football game. Like we did with the offensive side of the ball, let's kind of wrap up what you think about the defensive side, kind of give it a grade. And I guess you could throw Chris Kolevic in there with, with them as well as part of this class. Yeah, really impressive, you know, what they were able to do on the defensive side of the football. You know, maybe they would have liked to have added um, that pass rusher that we talked about or that uh, another defensive back. But really, I think they met a lot of their needs. Obviously, linebacker was a huge part of those needs. And uh, to, to bring in the high school guys they did, along with Kalerovic, who was, a, you know, produced at a very high level for Northern Iowa, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's hard to really pick and, and uh, punch holes in, in the, the class that they were able to sign. You know what I was worried a little bit about, Sean, was with some of the guys coming back, you know, even a Will Honus, you'd think some of these young guys may be like, wait, I didn't expect that person to be there when I came in. How's that whole dynamic, you think? Yeah, the area I worry is safety. Mm -hmm. Noel Pulligates, particularly, and guys like that. How do you keep him engaged another year right. um, to develop? Because I do think they have three pretty good young safeties. Isaac Gifford is in that group as well. Then we saw Miles Farmer last year and then Noel Pulligates. Uh, but you got to tell those guys, all right, another year to wait. I think th those will be some of the challenges the staff faces. I think that linebacker room is solid. I, I mean, Nick, Nick Henrich got enough of a taste this year where yeah. he's good. Um, Snodgrass, you know, is a guy that wants to be here. He's a part of it. Um, so I, I feel like they're okay. Luke Reimer had a great year. Luke Reimer. Yeah. I feel like the linebacker situation and even the D-line, it's probably the safety position on defense that you worry about keeping – um, Noah Paul Gates would be the one just because he came in so highly touted, had some adversity, had an injury, and you know how you know he was going to miss last spring anyway. Right. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see where he's at this spring. Which position would you say, Nate, heading into 2021, do you feel most comfortable about in terms of what you know about them and, and what the starting group will look like? Yeah, I'd probably go with that defensive line. I think that was kind of a big question mark last season, but those guys produced at a high level, and um, you know they're they're pretty much all coming back. I think that um, you look at the pieces that Tony Tuioti has to work with there, and now the depth that he has there. Um, you know, I, I think that everyone is feeling pretty good about what those guys are going to be able to do. What about if you can't have defensive line? What are you going to take? I'd go linebacker. I mean, just the group in general. Um, all the outside guys are back. Um, I think Caleb Tanner is on the come, and, and they'll get him better. And getting JoJo Dolman back, to me, was the most important one of all because it allows the defense to have so much more flexibility when he can just stay out there. I mean, you hate to draw back to, like, the Eric Haig, Dijon Gome days, sure. but just that flexibility, like Eric Haig gave Bo Pelini, similar deal. I mean, they could line JoJo Dolman up, and he was guarding – 
um, Rondell Moore mm -hmm. for 16 targets in that game and only had one catch of longer than, what, 10 yards probably on him. So mm -hmm. that's not easy to do. And when you have a linebacker that can go in and out like that, yeah. um, I think that that's going to be big. I miss the old peso position. The peso. That was a fun position back in the day. Let's talk about the wide receiver position because neither one of you guys named that. But today Scott Frost spent, oh, I don't know, probably seven minutes talking about that. And Omar Manning came up. The, the big question that most fans want to know, Nate, how does, how does Omar Manning, you think, figure into this wide receiver group next year? Well, yeah, I mean, assuming that he's good to go, uh, I think that he's going to be a name that we're all talking about an awful lot. Um, you know, we were talking about him last year this time, and I think that he still has that instant impact type of ability, um, certainly has that size that Nebraska is wanting. And, uh, you know, he's put together quality, um, you know, production at, at a fairly high level in the past. And, you know, assuming that he's healthy and able to, to really go, I think he's somebody that could really make an impact on the offense. Well, we're not talking about enough out of that wide receiver room. Um, I think Xavier Betts is 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 really due um, to do more. But Omar Manning, when you go back to him, I, I think just practicing this spring, can he practice all 15 practices and go through the reps? Because I don't, we don't get to see these things, Michael. But I my read is he's not practiced much at all. Right. So can they actually practice Omar Manning this spring? Will be the first step there with him. But Tory and what he brings. That's going to do a lot, you know. What, what will and then those tight ends? When you add Fedoni with Austin Allen with Volkolek, I mean, that, that's a pretty good group of tight ends that Nebraska is going to trot out there in 2021. Last thing from you guys: Do you, what do you think happens in terms of backup quarterback, Nate? Um, when you look at maybe after spring or after the junior college season, what do you think happens backup quarterback wise? Well, yeah, I think that's probably the, the biggest question right now remaining for Nebraska with those two spots that they have left. You know, what are they able to go out and get a, a transfer, a quarterback transfer? And what does that transfer look like? Is that somebody that's going to be expected to come in and push Adrian Martinez? Or is it going to be somebody that's going to be expected to come in and maybe have some experience under their belt in case Adrian Martinez goes down? Um, you know, I think you know, that's that's kind of the, the $10,000 question is, is what that looks like. But I think that's there's no question that Nebraska's got to at least look at what's out there and if it makes sense to bring somebody in. And, um, you know, and also going through spring football, what does Logan Smothers look like? Yeah. You know, is he going to be somebody that is, that is able and, uh, to, to step in and, and be, that, be that backup and be somebody that could uh, step in without much of a drop-off if you know, Adrian Martinez went down? What happens with that quarterback position, you think, Sean? Ask yourself this. Maybe getting... Luke McCaffrey or having him leave will simplify things. Because I, I think if Luke was around, there would have been a lot more pressure to stage this competition that in all reality probably wasn't a competition. Right. I think Adrian Martinez, he completed over 85% of his passes over the final four games of the year. Um, he only threw one interception over the final six um, games of the season. And actually two, it was two at, North, yeah. at Rutgers. Rutgers. Then he went five in a row before that without a pick. So he, he cleaned up. You know, he had the pick at Northwestern that was kind of flukish. So his season, I felt like, wasn't as bad as we made it out to feel. Like, it wasn't a bad year. I, I think the Northwestern game felt more like an overreaction. And right. you, you just wonder, if they start Adrian against Penn State and Illinois, is the season different than the way it ended up? They beat Illinois for sure. Spring's going to be really fun. Nebraska volleyball is back on NET tomorrow evening as the Cornhuskers take on Maryland. You can watch that Big Ten matchup tomorrow night at 6 p.m. right here on NET. Well, that'll do it for us. Another season of Big Red Wrap-Up. It sure was a really interesting one, one we'll probably never see again. For Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, I'm Michael Severe. We'll see you for another football season next fall on NET's Big Red Wrap-Up. Good night, everybody.